and welcome to the back page of video games podcast i'm samba roberts i'm joined as ever by matthew castle hello matthew we're joined by our first guest to do three episodes so Catherine, reintroduce yourself hello everyone uh yeah i'm Catherine castle um editor-in-chief of rock paper shotgun i'm, I'm very honored to be three-time guest on this podcast Thank you for having me back <laughs> again. Oh, of course. No, of course. We're glad to have you. I mean, we, we had to have you because this is, you know, a Japanese RPG focused episode. It's uh, a subject that I know is close to both of your hearts, but it's uh, it's all about Xenoblade Chronicles. So the third game in the series on Nintendo Switch has just dropped this uh, RPG series from Monolith Soft and uh, Nintendo. And um, yeah, it's, it's an interesting one in the sense that Matthew Castle likes it, which is not the case with many other Japanese RPGs, or at least, you know, has captured your imagination the way that a few of them have. So yeah, Catherine, we'd like to be joined by you again. Um, how are things going on the uh, the rock, paper, shotgun side? Are you enjoying life with a Steam Deck? If anything, I've been neglecting my Switch because, yeah, I can just play all my PC games away from <laughs> the big screen now, which is, yeah, I feel like I, I need to, I, I, I'm due... Uh, or rather my switch is due a lot of love particularly yeah with xenoblade 3 having just come out time to get back to my switch and yeah pop the steam deck away for a little bit but it is very good i am enjoying it a lot (laughs) that's cool how's um rps these days as well doing pretty well i think the the lack of games coming out is 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 could be better it could you know it'd be nice to have some some interesting things to write about but i think we're in a kind of quite handy position uh, in that we do write about you know a lot of indie games as well which are they are coming thick and fast <laughs> so it's, there are there are you know there's there is still plenty to write about that's that's maybe misrepresenting the situation but yeah there are i think as as many other people are probably failing in, in games media right now the lack of big games is yeah i wish i wish things would stop getting delayed <laughs> yeah please please have something come out at the end of the year games games industry that would be <laughs> much appreciated hey you got gotham knights and some other stuff i can't remember um yeah but, yeah <laughs> I, um, I you... thought you were going to say Chaos Gate or whatever it's called. <laughs> That's already out, Matthew. Um, yeah, well, but, you, know, uh, you never know. I don't talk you about that here. that shameless. <laughs> I don't cross the streams here. I try and keep the, the keep them separately. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, what about Symphony of War, Catherine? Is that cross paths with you? That seems like something you'd like. Oh, I don't. Which 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 one is that? That's a Fire Emblemy one that's out on Steam. Um, oh, the farm! Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The um... I put you under intense pressure by asking yes. you about a game I didn't put in our plan. So um, I was just making small talk, but it's not meant to be like genuinely, genuinely perplexing. So um, <laughs> you know, that's, uh, it's all good. But no, I just got sent a code for that one. It seems particularly Steam Deck friendly. Um, oh, yeah, kind of. Yeah, like the oh, latest. Oh no, wait! I do know the game that you're talking about now. Yes, sorry, I was getting confused. And I think literally today there is a game by the Fire Emblem creator out on steam which is sort of something like this vistaria saga 2 the sword of sylvanistra or something there, there are too many s's in the title basically um, right so yeah no I, I was getting confused with that but yes I mean, the title War, zings i have heard very good things about and yes i do have a code for that and but i have yet to have yet to delve into it yeah um, i'll be honest i did mention it thinking this is the sort of thing Catherine will surely know about and i, I did hope that um across <laughs> bars with you um Okay, well, this is going great so far, which is uh, which is good. Um, but yes, this episode all about all about Xenoblade Chronicles. And to to start with Matthew, I want to ask how the devil are you, and um, how are you after playing 140 hours of the third game in this series? Uh, do you, you get a good hourly rate on that freelance, buddy? <laughs> I, th- I I mean, I well, I won't reveal my rate, but it was it was it was bad in the end, entirely self inflicted because I chose to play the game. Uh, as I would a punter, 
you know, this is a series I really love and, you know, I, I wanted to, to do a big thorough playthrough, not just for the sake of the review, but I wanted to enjoy the game as if I would anew because, you know, if I just rushed through the campaign and then went back and mined it, I think it would be slightly diminished. So, yeah, 140 hours. I think that's the, probably the most I've... That is definitely the most I've ever played a game for review. But I did finish it, um, which isn't true of the one I've, I reviewed... Xenoblade 2 for Games Master and I just couldn't complete that in time I just didn't have time to do it but um, yeah this time did it properly. Yeah that means a lot of hours of RPG during some quite hot weather in the UK it's um, I imagine those two things will be tied together forever for you now It was okay actually because I, I would just enjoy little hours of it here and there and um, it's quite a portable friendly game because I kind of chipped away at it on the train and uh, on lunch breaks and even in like if I had a spare 10 minutes because a you know meeting fell through or something or I was waiting for something I would I could sort of hop on it was nice um yeah it was a it was a good time actually a very happy time less so when I had to write the review at the end sorry I had um, a fly in my flat and I just managed to get out that second but that's why there was a pause because <laughs> I was precariously no, closing fine. the door um, like the fl- got the fly the fuck out so I can talk about it that's before. fine this is this has got very ca- very chaotic energy this one I think it's uh, I've got a week off and I'm a bit more like hey pull up a seat about the podcast than I normally am rather than like you know a solid on it kind of guy but um, I, um, I want yeah. to establish a quick uh, pronunciation ground rule um, right I'm hearing you're saying Xeno. Right. I say Xenoblade, but that's fine. I don't know what it is. I think it's... I think... I don't know. I just wanted to flag that <laughs> I am going to be saying Xenoblade, Xenosaga, and Xenogears. I'm not going to be saying Xenogears. <laughs> right. I had another good um, ground rules question for you, Matthew, which is I think people are really curious about how much we'll spoil the series in general or xenoblade chronicles 3 specifically on this episode so right. how do you see that going just so people kind of know as a sort of content warning well, as it were i can't spoil it because Catherine hasn't played it and <laughs> you know unlike the people on the discord if i spoil it for Catherine, she she's physically able to give me a dead arm or whatever mm-hmm. you know where the people on you know the people on discord you know whatever um, but the people in my house i am scared of so uh, no, <laughs> we'll keep it spoiler-free. That makes Re- sense. Yeah. Uh, relatively spoiler-free. I'll, t- I'll, I'll, like, I, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you enough to get excited, but not enough to rob you of any excitement. Yeah, I suppose like as a good sort of um, a sort of good background here, Catherine. Like, why don't you talk about your history with this series, and um, have you had to spend time in another room to avoid having this game spoiled for yourself? I sort of had to basically self-isolate for the last month you know not through having covid or anything but i'd imagine it's a very similar kind of situation in that yes i basically just had to not be in the same room as matthew um for yeah quite a long time it feels like Um, this has a better soundtrack than covid that's that's a key (laughs) difference uh, yeah, you know, I've sort of had to, if, if Matthew's been playing it in the living room, you know, I sort of had to like, you know, he'll he'll have shut the door. I'll have to sort of knock to make sure that I'm not kind of walking into some kind of like massive spoiler zone. I think like a couple of times when Matthew's just kind of been like noodling around the map, like, you know, I, I have seen sort of snippets of it here and there, just kind of, you know, fairly innocuous kind of biffing monsters on, on in a field sort of thing. But yeah, there have been a couple of times where yeah, sort of Matthew sort of has literally asked me to close my eyes so that I don't see names on a map, maybe. I don't really know. Um, 
But I mean, it, it, it's, it was a similar thing when Matthew reviewed Xenoblade Chronicles 2. Like, it, it was very similar. But yeah, I just sort of had to had to go and entertain myself for several weeks <laughs> before that <laughs> came out. So yeah, I'm, I'm so, sort of used to it. But I am very much looking forward to actually finding... Seasoned review widow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so what about your own sort of um, personal connection to Xenoblade, Catherine? Have you, have you always just followed them in the... I guess play them in the wake of Matthew reviewing these sequels or like um I guess did you come to the series sort of like I, I suppose I like explained your the origins of you you coming to the series essentially like um did the 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 Wii original did 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 you kind of like pick that up at the time Yeah absolutely yeah I've 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 been with the ser- yeah been with the series since the start really not really sure exactly why it caught my attention I I was very aware at the time that I think whether it was through games magazines or websites or whatever it was i was very aware obviously of, of the operation rainfall campaign but sort of because these uh, this game you know, it released in japan in in 2010 came to europe uh, a year later in 2011 but like there was just no us release on 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 schedule for it and i think americans were you know they they well yeah they, they basically kicked off an entire fan campaign to get nintendo to release that uh, the Last Story and Pandora's Tower, which were all th- yeah three quite big, or it felt at the time big you know JRPGs that yeah were were scheduled to release in Europe but not in America for reasons I guess right. I don't know so I was aware of that and I think it certainly fed into my curiosity of Xenoblade Chronicles because like you know what what is this game that is everyone's kicking off about but I think you know it just sort of got crazy reviews at the time it just sort of so yeah i just because i was sort of into final fantasy and other jrpgs around that sort of era yeah i just kind of i, I bought it played it at the time absolutely loved it because i think this was it was sort of the year either sort of around the same time as skyward sword but maybe sort of slightly before but sort of right, right at the end of the sort of Wii era lifespan and it just like it just felt you know i think together with that and skyward sword a couple of you know couple of months later i think at the time just like oh yes finally the wii is no longer like <laughs> a bit of a laughing stock like it has you know it really felt like a kind of crowning achievement for the wii and you know something to like be proud of as, as a wii owner and it's like yes this is this is great um yeah I, I just really fell in love with the story the music was absolutely amazing um you know and still is you know i think like that that really you know i, I would say now that I mean, until Breath of the Wild came along, that the original Xenoblade Chronicles was probably my favorite game of all time, I think, wow. you know, kind of like at that point. It's, yeah, it's definitely like, you know, I think Breath of the Wild would, would now be, I would say that's now my favorite game ever. But Xenoblade is, yeah, pretty, pretty close second. Um, wow. So, yeah, I, I really dig it. <laughs> yeah, enormously significant. <clears throat> okay, great. Well, um. How we're going to do this episode is we've got basically like a, a section where we're going to talk about the origins of the the game, uh, the series, and also a bit about what makes a, a Xenoblade game. Um, we've got the uh, the old kind of like uh, classic thing of taking Iwata us and um, pretending it's our own research as we kind of like retell the sort of origins of the. That's games. what all the video essays do. <laughs> it's so not shaming it. Um, and and the Iwata us for. for well, they they are universally excellent, but these ones I found them like so in, so insightful about the granular, 
sort of like process of how this game came to be and the sort of how the scope of it sort of happened that's um that's some pretty interesting stuff but um i suppose um after that we're going to dive into um well matthew has a really fun sounding game which um just says in our show notes will lead into a little game for Samuel and Catherine to play Xenoblade Crafting Ingredient or 90s Drug Slang. Now, <laughs> I'm I'm excited. I know the listeners are excited. Um, <laughs> so it's like that's that's going to be one minute of the podcast. <laughs> I just, just want to give people a heads up. <laughs> Not to over-egg it then. Um, and then section two will be like a, a brisk overview of the series. So all four games, the uh, the three kind of core games, and then Xenoblade Chronicles X, which um, uh, I've heard a bit of Matthew talk a bit about before, but um, I'm definitely excited to hear Catherine talk about too. And that's when you'll get the bulk of our Xenoblade Chronicles 3 chatter. So I suppose to talk about the origins of this game and Monolith Soft as more widely. So my understanding is that this is basically some X-square squaresoft veterans who spun off to form their own company um hired a lot of new people to shuttle out this series um xenosaga and not quite being ready to to kind of like be up to the task of making a great japanese rpg then for for whatever reason ends up being acquired by nintendo in 2007 um makes this game Disaster Day of Crisis, which is a somewhat throwaway <laughs> kind of like um, cinematic uh, sort of like very silly cinematic action game uh, we've discussed previously. But then this kind of feels like the big thing they build up to. Um, but I suppose like that's kind of zooming through it quite quickly. The um, First of all, to start with, I suppose, Catherine, like uh, who is uh, Tetsuya Takahashi and what does he represent across the course of Japanese RPG history to you? The whole formation of Monolith Soft is is quite sort of strange in that, yeah, he's sort of this figure who, you know, was quite instrumental in a lot of the early Square RPGs, sort of took such a kind of key role in, I think, the making of Final Fantasy VI that sort of Square came to him and I think his then wife, you know, they, they sort of formed this kind of like super pair of like just game designers, storytellers to more or less you know, set down the concept for Final Fantasy VII at the time. And, you know, it it was deemed too dark looking at what Final Fantasy VII became. I mean, <laughs> it was still pretty dark by, by Final Fantasy standards. But yeah, it's sort of that, that sort of concept was rejected. But, you know, they, they then, that then became the basis for, for a game called Xenogears instead. And, you know, obviously Final Fantasy VII went on to do its thing. But yeah, sort of he's this figure that sort of probably because Square, Square were, you know, not funding these uh you know i think after the completion of xenogears weren't funding these sort of smaller projects i think you know they were funneling just money into i think you know uh, obviously their, their mainline final fantasy games but also their burgeoning slash failing or about to fail film business uh because i think you know this this was around the time that they made the that that classic movie uh final fantasy the spirits <laughs> within that bombed horribly and, you know, I think he was just sort of frustrated with kind of the way things were, convinced a bunch of, you know, of his other mates to kind of go off and form a different company with him so he could sort of do his own thing. Um, it, it was with Namco money. They're sort of yeah. a, a sort of Namco subsidiary, weirdly. Um, this is before Namco become Namco Bandai. So they do start working with Nintendo in that period. Yeah, Batman Kytos. You know, they're, they're making Namco games for GameCube basically. And while they're there, they start making Xenosaga, which is this, uh, intended to be this six-part JRPG epic 
Um, not a direct continuation of Xenogears, obviously that's Square's game, but kind of operating in the same ballpark, dealing with a lot of the themes. That's really what the sort of Xeno bit of these game titles is. It's more the connective tissue is more the sort of philosophies and the grander ideas rather than they are all part of a coherent universe. But over the course of making the first three, like this series doesn't really explode and they end up kind of having to hurriedly wrap up Xenosaga in part three. I would say the history of Takahashi, just to zoom out a little bit, is quite weird for us in the UK in that a lot of his big formative games weren't released here. I think we only ever had like one Xenosaga actually came out here. I think it was like number two. Yeah, with um, a DVD that gave you a recap of um, the first one. And I, Matthew, right. I watched that DVD. <laughs> <laughs> but like, but like, but you know, Xenogears is, you know, often appears in the list of like the greatest RPGs of all time. But I don't know if it has a huge, huge rep here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I suppose like a larger point, Matthew, and I don't want to step on your toes here because I think it's a really good one, is that. Uh, kind of dialing back even further, Xenogears is a game that is famously unfinished. That right. essentially, mm. in its, I think, its second disc is basically the story is told, you know, through text essentially, and like yeah. there's not, they don't, they lack the, you know, resources or time to fully tell that story. So, what do you think is the the sort of wider story of his career here? If you want a really neat narrative. You have a man who has an incredible vision for games, a really clear idea of what he wants to do, and he's constantly stuck with partners who basically don't want to see through those ideas or are working to such fixed budgets or timescales that they can never be delivered. So, yes, you know, Xenogears, you have this Disc 2, which is famously very sort of dialogue-driven. And then when you get to Xenosaga, you have a six-part series that basically the last four entries get crammed into, into three. And what happens when he goes to Nintendo, not to jump too far ahead into that stuff, is that they finally have a partner that wants to see his through, through his ideas. And there's a very, like, sounds like a very important moment when they start to cut Xenoblade Chronicles and it's Nintendo that says, well, no, you know, we like the whole vision for this we have to see this through and that's why it has quite a long sort of gestation period to become made but you know i don't want to say it's as simple as like nintendo get him and give him the space i think also the projects he works on well the xenoblade series is a little simpler in scope in some ways you know like xenosaga is this very sort of naughty piece of work full of philosophy and theology and like mad scientific theory and you know it is a chewy quite hard text (laughs) um and a lot of that gets dulled back in xenoblade chronicles so i think you know i think they're in a better place to kind of execute and deliver that um but definitely you know he you get the impression that he is now making the games as they should be and as he as he imagines them sort of like um some really good insight that came out of one of the awataras which covers the um the 3D version of Xenoblade Chronicles is him at Square Enix and how he felt about all the Squaresoft then, how he f- felt things were going. So um, to him, he basically thinks there needs to be a permanent, uh, sorry, a perfect harmony between game systems and storytelling in Japanese mm-hmm. RPGs. So if you imagine them on a graph, it's basically a diagonal line. And he felt that Square Enix was moving towards the uh, story 
um, side of things more than the game system side of things. So I was quite surprised to see that level of honesty, actually, because, you know, as someone who works in PR now, I would put in a document somewhere, don't slag off other devs. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. um, but um, it was but like, also, yeah. And he also, in Xenosaga, made entries which had, you know, 30 hours of cutscenes in them. You know, like yeah. he himself was very guilty of this. Yeah, and it's, what's really interesting about reading those interviews with Iwata is that you can track how he changes as a creator over time. So he he was renowned as quite a scary and cold figure or like a bit adrift. Um, maybe cold is the wrong word, but definitely scary. That is a word that is used. Um, and you get the sense that he picked this up from the slightly unknowable quality of his managers at Square, including Sakaguchi, that they were mm. kind of like people you had to study from, study from, from afar, essentially, rather than getting that close-knit interaction with them. But then it sort of suggested that by the time you get to the start of the um, the development of Xenoblade, that he has changed into a much more collaborative figure who will walk up to people and share ideas and be much more like talking to individual dev teams all the time. So mm. it seems like he just softens a little bit with age, maybe. Um, yeah. Really interesting, though. If you read around the studio, and some of this stuff is quite hard to pinpoint where it comes from, but they they have this reputation as being quite well managed in terms of like not crazy into crunch like very fixed working hours apparently it's a very well behaved job that also something they really value is kind of training up juniors you know he get he, he says in several interviews several of these water ass interviews that there are points where he worries it's becoming too top heavy with like senior people and old people and you almost get the impression that he doesn't want it to just become what he had at square again and mm. so he deliberately goes out of his way to kind of maybe work with some like rougher diamonds, yeah. um, which is which is you know a very cool and admirable thing. But like I say, some of that is hard to w- work out where that comes from. <laughs> yeah, and it certainly um, reading between the lines on those interviews seems to trip them up with um, Xenosaga when they don't quite feel like they've got. I think that they say in the de- he says in the interview that he. Um, they only like had the graphics engine ready in the last six months of development of the first game or something like that so it was chaotic and they didn't feel they were quite ready for it in fact i think what he says is that at that stage he knew that the studio in that form could not make the masterpiece that he saw in his head as being the this is the game that our studio exists for essentially so that takes longer and comes along later catherine um, I wanted to ask you a bit about Monolith Soft before Xenoblade. So, uh, Baton Kaitos, Disaster Day of Crisis. Um, like, I, I suppose, like, what's your history with those games? And do you think they were a natural fit for Nintendo when they were acquired in 2007 or a bit of a strange one? I, I would say quite a strange one. I mean, I, I, I haven't played Disaster Day of Crisis, but I did play Baton Kaitos. I actually went through three copies of that game because i encountered two like actual game breaking bugs in the disc <laughs> and wow. i had to sort of but yeah I, I was that invested in it that i bought it three times uh to try and fit, get to the end were um, those every copy of it sold in the uk probably ever? yes i would imagine um yeah that's so one I, way of shifting more copies yeah <laughs> just make it terribly buggy so that people have to buy more copies to to get through it but yeah so i i, I played back in kytos at the time really liked it it was um a very it's quite yeah very strange jrpg it has a card-based battle system i I was refreshing my memory about how it worked and it is it is bonkers like you have a you know each you have sort of dedicated attack and defensive turns there's a timer so you have to like it's really kind of quick fire kind of like just decision making on what cards you want to play there's 
you know, elemental systems at work that, you know, you can't play two cars of the opposite effect because, you know, they'll cance- cancel each other out. There are What's the rotting fruit card thing? Everything is basically a card, including like all your items. But it had this mad system where things would age over time, particularly kind of food and healing item cards. They, they Berries would, would rot, uh, you know, milk would sour, you know, and you'd, you'd either have to just throw them away or, uh, you know, some some super rare cards you could only get by either com- you know combining certain things at a certain like point in time you know that, that, that they'd aged so much that you could combine them into something else yeah it's like <laughs> absolutely bonkers but like i think it that kind of level of detail also speaks i think to to just the the level of you know there is so it's stuffed absolutely stuffed with with effects details you know the, the the world that it has is so lush and i i sort of look looking back on it I, I can barely believe that it was a gamecube game it looks so much more advanced than that um mm. yeah got like loads of sort of graphical effects going on in the map and the overworld and stuff considering that takahashi wasn't really involved in this i think you know he, he, he was busy making xenosaga at the time when you actually look at look at it and look back at it there is a surprising amount of kind of xenoblade dna to be found there like you know the, the, the game takes place on a series of, of floating islands that you have to sail between there's a giant mythical whale you know not not unlike the the titans that you would go on to see in xenoblade yeah it's sort of there's this there's even like one of the islands that you visit it's sort of it's it's sort of like an illusion type world that throws together all sorts of sort of different visual styles. There's like a kind of cake land. There's a picture book thing. Um, you know, it's sort of probably reading a little bit too much into it, but it did sort of remind me of how you know, in Xenoblade 2, all the different blade designs, you know, they're all made by different artists, but, you know, even though there are so many different things happening and things looking different, it all manages to sort of cohere into a, uh, you know, a kind of unified whole in a sense. For, for all those similarities, it is still like a very a, a JRPG of its time. It sort of looks and feels very much like like Chrono Cross and kind of Final Fantasy X. It's that kind of three D character models on on two D pre rendered backgrounds. Um, you know, a lot of the environments are only a couple of screens big. You know, most of the villages and towns are three or four screens. Quite a you know a much smaller. Uh, prospect, I would say, than 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 what Xenoblade would would go on to become. As I say, I didn't didn't sort of really play Disaster Day of Crisis at the time, but Disaster was a weird one because it feels like basically Nintendo got them in to to do some like graphics. Like mm. the idea was it was going to be like a big cinematic action game, and it is a cinematic action game, and was going to show what the Wii could do sort of visually, which is a bit of a. a cruel task to set someone because it's, it's not like you can do masses it also um, had kind of masses of motion controls in it as well it was one of those kind of like really big motion control games i think by the time it came out i think was it 2008 everyone has sort of fell, fallen out of love with with motion controls so it sort of felt a bit old hat even at that point i reviewed wii music and uh alex dale was reviewing disaster day of crisis sitting next to me i can remember it was a really weird review session because he was playing this semi-serious disaster game where a man's running around a city, which is basically being inundated with like every natural disaster imaginable. It's like tornadoes, earthquakes, I think a volcano goes off. It's really dumb. <laughs> and I was there parping away like my grandfather's <laughs> clock or whatever on Wii Music. And just a very <laughs> jarring experience for both of us. <laughs> That's funny. Um, so do you think, 
Matthew, there's anything from Disaster that filters down into Xenoblade, or is it just a completely different no, it, track they're on? Like, you know, the director of, uh, well, Xenoblade has, like, quite a few directors. It's a bit confusing, but um, this guy, Kokojima, is, like, quite a key figure. I think he worked on it. So, you know, it's definitely, like, a lot of people who'd go on to work on this game are working there, but you did get the sense that there were times where the company was doing sort of work for hire or work that they'd been set by their, you know, new owners while they were probably brewing up like what their main game was going to be because mm. you know alongside xenoblade like they are doing other stuff there's like a dragon ball rpg they do for bandai namco they do some of the super robot tizen rpgs for ds there's a japanese only rpg called soma bringer which is actually quite sad that that's not out over here i've not played it but that that has got takahashi design on it it's meant to be more of an action rpg kind mm. of his take on sort of Diablo type or Diablo type thing. So yeah, that never made it over here. So you know they they are they are busy, but uh, you know I feel like particularly with this group of people, whether rightly or wrongly, people are waiting for Takahashi to do something. You know, like he is the sort of the he, when he's involved, it is like the main event. Yeah, the Zen and Blade one and two for DS is another thing that happened around that time too. So yeah, very productive um, studio. So, mm. all right, let's move on to the creation of Xenoblade itself, the model, Matthew. <laughs> right. Um, so it all seems to start here. Basically, Disaster Day of Christ development is is still spinning on, but there is essentially the first discussion about laying the groundwork for the next project that the studio would work on. And what essentially happened was, and uh, I am kind of recording it from my notes here, is that Takahashi had the idea of these two gods that were fighting and then, or these titans rather, and then essentially these vast lands were where people would live were built around the titans and the the different sort of like weather and uh, sort of like identities of the locations were shaped by where they were relative to their location yeah. to these like frozen giants. So if you're underneath, if you're in the shadow, it's really kind of icy down there, for example. But mm. this this was kind of used as the the basis for a surprisingly large amount of pitching this game, conceiving this game. Do you want to pick it up from there, Matthew? Uh, yeah, so yeah, he comes back sort of, he apparently has this idea on like a bus or a train, comes back to the studio, starts telling people about it, and then they're all like, oh yeah, this sounds great. Everyone everyone keeps saying how energised they are by the idea. And uh, yeah, he sends out uh, one of his other um, colleagues to like get a load of model making stuff and they build like a physical model um, to start kind of building the game out from there. This coincides with Nintendo coming to them for like, well, what next after, you know, Disaster Day of Crisis? And they have this sort of like early idea which sort of instantly captures the imagination. This really is the thing. You should read this interview. It's absolutely brilliant. But everyone in it has a moment where they say, oh, when the idea was pitched to me, I was instantly, like, into it. You know, like, I, I really loved the idea of this world, exploring a world set on the bodies of these two giants. You know, that just captured my sort of sense of imagination and, and sense of adventure, um, which I think is quite a key word for the, the Xenoblade series. Yeah, and then they, 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 they start working this up. He works with an anime writer. He gets, like, an anime a writer in to, to sort of work alongside him. I think this is quite an interesting thing, like, Considering that the big criticism of his other games is that 
as 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 like nutty and clever and highbrow as they are, they could also be too much so of all of those things. You know, they were just a bit of a slog. Um, Simon Parkin uh, reviewed Zinnia Saga uh, two and three definitely for Eurogamer, and his reviews are they're really they're really great. Actually, the way he kind of like unpicks how how much like there's just too much work to kind of get into, and you get this idea that you know working with this sort of anime writer they get a bit more punch and then the script also then goes through nintendo who editor who edit it down and really i think why why things start kind of clicking into place for monolith soft now than before is just that they have not just a partner who can see his vision through but a partner who can kind of edit him and tell him where it's going a bit overboard and where he's losing the thread a bit and I would say that's an incredibly important part of all of these games. One of the things I love particularly about 1, 2, and 3, less so X, is that I find the, the stories are really complete and coherent in a way that often JRPGs, I think, can go a bit galaxy-brained. I always think of them as they're the opposite of Nomura stories. You know, when you play Kingdom Hearts or you see what happens at the end of Final Fantasy VII Remake, and it is just incomprehensible bullshit unless you know you've read like all these extra texts or whatever. These are the exact opposite, even to the degree that you don't need to have played the other games in Xenoblade to enjoy it. You know, they're very self-contained. I think it's one of the great successes of this series is that it kind of brings it all in, but is still harnessing like the intelligence of the guy. It's like the best version of, of Takahashi, I would say. Yeah, the other key thing I got from the Iwata asked Matthew is that uh, Yuri Hattori essentially functions, uh, Nintendo planner comes in and basically functions as the editor of the scenario and asks these searching questions about the plotting and certain things being incoherent and essentially polishing it up. And I think that a lot of what you're saying about, you know, how that all clicks together comes from her influence based on that interview. It's really interesting. Mm. Um, so I suppose like, from there, the other the other interesting thing is that the um, uh, so Kokojima tells the story about how they were asked by Nintendo to essentially create like one near complete level of the game in order to like properly sell the pitch, and they found that really stressful because they had always worked on the basis of set the scope first and very slowly build everything up as you go. Mm. Um, but they um, they did actually eventually like this way of working. But it kind of forced them to change the way they worked to uh, in order to appease Nintendo. Um, mm. So I suppose from there, let's talk about the games themselves. So Catherine, what do you think are the core ingredients of a Xenoblade? What has to exist for it to earn that name? And I suppose like what is it as a, a Japanese RPG? you know, to, to play, essentially. I'm probably going to have a slightly cop-out answer here. Because they are so different, trying to find the common threads between all of them is actually kind of surprisingly hard. I mean, I think the main bit of connective tissue is that they all have these vast worlds. That, that sense of scale and scope is certainly, like, one of the key ingredients. Not just in, in that these are huge environments, they are, you know, they take place on the back of huge creatures in various sort of shapes and forms. I think one other thing I also wanted to throw into the mix in terms, or a couple of other things in terms of like, I think when it has this, it is Xenoblade, is like the real time action system, which is very like MMOE 
in yeah. terms of like you auto attack and then you're managing a hot bar of arts um that i think is very you know I, i'm not a big mmo guy myself but i know that that is basically like world of warcraft what's kind of interesting about the battle system is that i don't think that comes as much from takahashi like in in the interviews the people who tend to talk about that are the directors and i almost get the impression that he's he takahashi is the executive director kind of in charge of the overall scope particularly the story the themes the characters and then he almost has like a sort of mechanic squad underneath him which is headed up by this uh, kojima and the other guy's name i've forgotten he's from nintendo i mean hilariously the nintendo guy is a huge takahashi fanboy there's stuff in those interviews where he's saying to like the other nintendo people who come into the project sort of like this is the guy you know this is like mr Zenegiz. i can't believe i get to work with this guy this is unbelievable and she you know she's like well i know he must be a big deal because this guy was excited and the other thing, and I think you you mentioned it earlier when you talked about trying to find that balance between story and gameplay. And again, this is a little bit nebulous, but I think these games do an amazing job of tying like big mechanical breakthroughs or developments to story developments. You know, it's very, very good at like this big dramatic thing has happened in the story and there's a tangible change to the combat system or it's unlocked a new level of the sword or I've got an innate power I didn't know I had before. And that may sound pretty standard, but they are especially good at it so that everything kind of hits at once. You know, there's a lot of, oh no, I'm about to get fucked in a boss fight, in a boss fight. And then, you know, the character will awaken in the cutscene, and then you get to have like five minutes of unleashing some amazing new power in, in the fight. He's, he's very good at, at sort of matching the those two things yeah so just to correct myself slightly matthew so there's a, a genki yakota who is the most recent producer on the games from the nintendo side yeah um and then there's hitoshi uh yamagami as well from nintendo yeah so, so yeah. yeah yamagami thinks like the supervising guy from nintendo but it must be the, the yakota guy who's the the other sort of brain he's in the most recent ask the developer um thing from the nintendo side so i yeah. assume it's him but um yeah. nonetheless getting in the weeds there yes. of uh, <laughs> research um yeah so um, I, I actually did want to ask about this because i have been playing the game this week so when it comes to the combat why what do you think it is about that that makes it xenoblade versus other japanese rpgs that's a weird way of phrasing it but i suppose what i'm saying is when i played it it's this mix of real time quite meaningful interactions between party members seemingly and also an incorporation of a kind of story mechanic of foresight to essentially like um uh, sort of shape the combat system a little bit too and it feels mm. like feels like maybe it lives adjacent to final fantasy 12 but i suppose on that combat side maybe start with you catherine what, what do you think of the dna of um of the series is I do still feel it's quite different to to other JRPGs out there. Like, I, it was different at the time, and I don't feel like many other JRPGs have sort of tried to ape it since. I mean, in in the first in the first Xenoblade, yeah, there's this sort of really engaging mix of you can play as kind of any party member, which really changes up kind of you know how how you play, how you approach battles. I always quite liked playing as Shulk, which is the the, the main the main guy. Maybe a slightly boring choice, but I just really liked the way that his his entire deal was was based around his positioning. So you know you're sort of constantly trying to move around these enormous monsters to you know to backslash them to get them in the side to 
you know, sort of inflict these status effects depending on, yeah, kind of where you are in relation to everyone else. That that in itself is is really engaging because you know you're you're really sort of concentrating on what's happening, what everyone else is doing, you know, and then the way that everything interacts together. You know, if someone sort of it falls over, you know, there's this sort of break, topple, daze system that you know you can inflict on enemies. They can also inflict on you. You know, you you can just go. You know, if if someone's fallen, you can go and pick them up and encourage them, and then you know you, you both get a little burst of kind of like encouragement. Your your own affinity kind of grows you know through battle there is a lot to to take into account and kind of you know for for ages i was just you know at the time i was just completely stumped by like why are all these kind of you know prompts coming up to press b <laughs> you know what 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 is that doing why 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 are these things being triggered it did take me a long time to to work out what was going on there but you know i think just in in the thick of it you're just like oh yeah you know kind of like just there are so many things kind of reacting against each other that it just feels you know really engaging in x it's quite a strange you know again it's sort of very reactive to what everyone else is doing it, it is quite different to the others to the mainline series but yeah it's just even with the with two the way that the you're sort of swapping out blades keeping track of elemental attacks and kind of building up these massive combos and then you know you're sort of sort of setting up setting everything up and then knocking it all down when you sort of initiate a chain attack to kind of pop these elemental bubbles uh you know using the blades that you've just sort of been uh activating to to, to set all that up in the first place there's just yeah there's just loads of stuff going on that is just you know just fires all the right you know um synapses in my brain to yeah, just kind of like i don't think there's anything else like it this is this is going to sound quite nerdy. One of the things that I do really like about Xenoblade is, as a series, is its huge affinity chart of NPC relationships. It sort of does this kind of mad thing, whereas you know, I think in a lot of other JRPGs, you know, every, every town is is filled with you know hundreds of characters that you sort of you know speak to once and then sort of never never sort of see again. Xenoblade obviously still has that as well, but there's a surprising number of named characters um, mm. who are all, when you meet them, they're all charted and mapped in this sort of separate sort of menu system. Um, and you can see, you know, a, a lot of the side quests are built around these relationships and these characters, and you can see how their their friendships, their, their um you know, mortal enemies, uh, you know, ch- change over time, and it, that 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 I think is is another sort of key. You know, it really makes the most of its of you know everything that is in it, um, which I don't mm. think you know a lot of other J. You know, it's it's not something I've seen in a lot of J- other JRPGs. Um, it's like a know. weird. It's like weirdly simulated the world. Yeah. In that sense, like that you know, people have routines and they're going to be at a certain place at a certain time. Yeah. Um, but it's so buried in that like affinity menu that you know i th- i think it's there so that you go i have this very deep bond with this world this idea of like growing affinity between you and the villagers but at the same time it, it it's quite an unusual sort of side feature you know it's not front and center ever no no it it is sort of hid- hidden away uh, I mean, I, I sort of spent, you know, particularly with Xenoblade One, I, I was fascinated by by that chart, <laughs> mm. the connections that it makes between certain characters, you know, seemingly in kind of completely disparate locations, is is just incredible. I was I was really sort of, you know, that that was one of the things that impressed me most about the first game. Mm. Um, There's almost 
a hint of madness in some of <laughs> Takahashi's thinking. Yeah. Like, with the affinity charts in Xenoblade 2, like, it sort of simulates the tides of this cloud sea. So mm. the idea is that the, the clouds that all the islands float in will go up and down at different points in the day, and that will, you know, make some of the land um, reachable or not based on the time. There's a super strange mechanic where there's one character in Xenoblade 2 who, instead of levelling up via traditional means, you have to repeatedly play an 8-bit arcade game um, <laughs> to, like, win new components for them. Yeah. And, like, that is their, their entire... So you have to grind this quite bad game. <laughs> um, but I think, like, those are almost the things I... I think they are part of the key DNA. It, it, you know, it's not a specific feature, but it's more like what mad thing has happened in this one. Like, what, where, where have they sort of lost the plot, but Nintendo <laughs> has allowed them to see it through? Yeah. yeah, but it is sort of quite like that sort of grinding that particular mini game. I think it, it is it is sort of quite atypical of, of what Xenoblade does in terms of you know just sort of speaking of grinding in that you know these these are huge JRPGs where I, I, I you know I wouldn't say that you really do need to grind like you know you 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 get you know XP for you know it, it encourages exploration you know every time you hit a landmark or you discover a new area you 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 know you get this great big wadge of XP which you know. Just other JRPGs just, just kind of don't do so it's sort of constantly pushing you to kind of like you know find find these strange nooks and crannies in the map just you know to, to level yourself up as well as as well as obviously fighting the monsters but I think because there's this sort of double whammy of of just XP kind of pouring in from everywhere it is a game that doesn't you know it is very kind of I, I feel respectful of your time yeah it doesn't really kind of ask you to to even though yeah they <laughs> they are 150 hours you know you, you can spend upwards of upwards of 150 to 200 hours playing them uh which maybe sounds as though it's contradictory but yeah it never asks you to grind um in yeah. the same way that other jrpgs do i think but, a, a really key thing that emerges from that from those interviews is that uh, matthew you alluded to earlier but the when it came down to hitting the projected deadline for the game and then having to decide between you know cutting the scope of it or keeping the scope of it they were encouraged to keep the scope and that it seems like in turn has influenced the dna of the series permanently in that nothing is off limits in that respect i think that's fair (laughs) yeah uh, yeah absolutely like when we talk about the individual games later like there's some really quite mad you know very very unusual choices in these games um that i like okay cool um so yeah, I think that the, the the success of this game internationally did surprise the first game did surprise the developers, and I think that it is like not necessarily a, it's not a rare example of a success story in the um, recent Japanese RPG history, but it's certainly like probably the most notable uh, success um, out of the out of the recent kind of like crop of um, newer series that have popped up. Matthew, this is where we're going to play your little game. Um, so <laughs> should we should we get to that? Yeah. So. The, 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 one of the things I was going to say that is part of the DNA of this game is that it has a big collecting system in all of the games. There's something called a collectopedia, which is like in, in Xenoblade 1 where you kind of collect these little glints of light off the ground and they are random objects that you then sort of sort of stamp, almost like stamp collecting, and then you get prizes for collecting them. Um, and there's variations of this across the series, but what has always made me laugh is that I think the names of the collectibles <laughs> are very sort of 
uh, evocative, very sort of suggestive, and I've I've often joked uh, that I think they sound like drug terminology. Right. And so I wanted to test this out by seeing <laughs> if you could work out what was a Xenoblade collectible and what was uh, a piece of <laughs> drug slang. Yeah, um, I say right. 90s drug slang. I actually took these from the, uh, an official uh, DEA <laughs> document <laughs> that listed like all this drug slang. <laughs> Amazing. So the, F- the FBI are watching you now then. Um, yeah, so this yeah. is DEA versus Xenoblade slang quiz. Amazing. This is very much like my Destiny exotic or craft beer quiz. <laughs> right. um, yeah, um, I'd vibes. be interested to see. I'm, maybe you'll see right through it and my theory will be disproved. So Okay. So number one. Dance Apple. Uh, is that who's guessing? Me or Catherine? Uh, well, Catherine probably knows some of these, so okay. I'll, I'll, I'll let you go first, Samuel. All right, thank you. Um, I think that's Xenoblade. <laughs> that is Xenoblade. Okay, yeah, yeah. A okay, bit too abstract well, that one. Not off to a good start. <laughs> this could be a disastrous <laughs> section. <laughs> <laughs> Question two: Skag. The next one is ha ha ha. Gonna go with Xenoblade again. I'll also go with Xenoblade. Oh yeah, you're right. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> Number three, Humming Cat. Gonna risk it on drugs. I'm gonna say Xenoblade. <laughs> oh, Xenoblade. <laughs> I don't know what drug I thought it was, but uh, mushrooms maybe. I don't know, but yeah. Uh, Blackbird. I think that's a drug reference. Yeah, I'm gonna go drug reference. Yeah, that's drugs. <laughs> This is difficult because Catherine really knows Xenoblade and you really know drugs. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't really, you know. It's, it's all no, just I learned from I'm Breaking Bad, you know. <laughs> Wibbleweed. It's got Xenoblade all over it. Really. <laughs> oh, shit, this is a terrible question. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I take it back. This should have been the whole podcast. You should have had 200 of them. That would have been great. I have. Uh, <laughs> there's, there's a few more. Tasty Sausage. Uh, Xenoblade, surely. Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> this is now the real game is upsetting Matthew Castle about oh, his own idea. This is terrible. <laughs> Whiffle dust. Sorry, say again. Whiffle dust. God, that's got like Harry Potter energy. I'm gonna guess Xenoblade again. Ah, uh, that's real. That's a drug. Oh, okay. <laughs> a very whimsical like, name drugs? for a drug. That should have been better. Do, do you know which drug? Uh, no. Well, it's something that can be is a powder, I guess. Cocaine, I guess. I don't know. Uh, I'm a very, I'm a very good boy. I don't really, I yeah. don't really do drugs. Uh, <laughs> Uh, double yolk. Uh, that really does sound like it could be either. Um, I'm going to go for drug reference there. <laughs> it's a drug reference. Okay. Okay. Secret turf. Secret turf. I'm going to go with Xenoblade for that. Yeah, Xenoblade. <laughs> that def- but that definitely could have been like a, that, a drug Yeah, that's what I was going for. Yeah, it's good. It's good. I've got a couple more. <laughs> yeah, sure. Neon grape. Going to say Xenoblade again. Yes. <laughs> Rainbow crystal. <laughs> Oh, what do you think, Catherine? I think a 50-50 oh, on that one. Yeah, I'm going to say drug slang. Yeah, drug slang. That's in a blind. So I don't know what I got at the end. I think it was something like 8 out of 10, 7 out of 10. It's pretty good. Yeah. Um, that's fun. I enjoyed that. What a disastrous uh, segment. <laughs> <laughs> Is that, that all that's proved is that I don't know what drugs are like. Well, the fact that I had to Google what are drug names, <laughs> um, it would indicate that I'm probably not the best person to be commenting on such things. It wouldn't be our podcast if we didn't debut a, seg- a segment we were excited about beforehand and then talk about the ways in which it went wrong after the after the segment aired 
but live on the podcast so people can listen to us <laughs> self-critiquing. Um, okay, uh, I think we should take a quick break there, then come back and talk about the games because I did have some other points to discuss here, but I think we'll cover them all in our um, talking about the uh, the games themselves. So, take a quick break, come back. Yeah, let's do it. Mm-hmm. So, in this section, we're going to have a brisk series history of uh, Xenoblade Chronicles or Xenoblade Chronicles. We probably should have looked that up beforehand. That's poor research, isn't it? Um, so, most of the focus <laughs> is going to go on Xenoblade Chronicles 3 because Matthew's played a load of it. And we uh, we want to hear him talk about this uh, new shiny game that he has dedicated his entire summer to. So, excited to do that. But um, let's start with Xenoblade Chronicles then, the game that kicks it off. Where to start? Matthew, do you want to set the groundwork? Then, Catherine, you uh, weigh in with... Um, your sort of in, your thoughts on the first game looking mm-hmm. back as we said it's set on the back of these two giant titans the bionis and the mechonis who have sort of struck each other a sort of death blow and are now sort of frozen in time we follow kind of the adventures of the the, the people who who live on on these these structures i would say this is like the most traditional of all of them in that you play a kind of like you know generic village boy called shulk who is pulled into uh, a much grander adventure when robots who come from uh, the Mechonis fly over and attack his village and uh, rob him of someone very important. I would just say what like instantly gripped me about this one is that even though it does feel a little bit meat and potatoes in terms of it's a revenge quest and you are just making a big trip up this giant to try and kind of basically collect allies and, and get to the place where you want to have revenge the kind of like the warmth of the characters the relatability of the characters the the kind of lore that does sort of expand out from this story i found all that very very compelling i think you know they they talked a lot about working with this anime writer and him making sure it it had this sort of satisfying kind of like a lot of kind of cliffhangers and surprises and twists i think it's a really really well-paced game maybe a little small feeling now um, given that it was this huge mammoth project for them to begin with, um, compared to the rest of the series, it maybe does feel, uh, you know, uh, you know, not diminished, but like a much simpler story. Um, you know, much easier to get your your head around. But I kind of, I kind of like the kind of classic sort of, you know, Star Warsiness of it. I guess the kind of, you know, farm boy made good, made hero. The one thing that I really liked about the story, as, as you say, it is sort of a classic revenge story, but. I think, you know, whereas other JRPGs might start with something like that and then, you know, it all kind of balloons outward. Uh, I would say that sort of Xenoblade, it, it never it never loses sight of that revenge quest. Like that is always a kind of really clear, constant kind of objective in everyone's minds. Like it's sort of other stuff does happen, but it's all it is all sort of funneled through this revenge lens uh, and as Matthew says, like it, it is really well paced. There are so many twists and turns in this story that you know, even eighty or you know, 
80 hours later, you know, things are still happening in this story to kind of change, change the situation and sort of, you know, shift the goalposts. Um, so yeah, they, they, they really know when to kind of how to kick it up a notch and to kind of, um, you know, introduce these other, yeah, kind of, I mean, it, it, it does still go pretty galaxy brain, I would say, but, you know, toward oh, the yeah, end. Oh yeah, it ends with some like pretty like intergalactic scenery, which I really yeah. like. Yeah. Um, the the trad nature of it did seem deliberate as well. I think like um, he was maybe suggesting Takahashi that he was pushing back on the, tr- the uh, Western trends of overpowered heroes who just knew what they were doing all the yeah. time, and um, and that maybe like RPGs needed a hero like this again. Um, yeah, but it's yeah. yeah. I just I think the fact that you you always know what the stakes are. That's, you know, that's that thing mm. I was saying earlier. Like it's a really coherent adventure. You always know like what you're doing or where you're going and why you're going there. And you meet some really great characters along the way. Uh, one of one of the really great things about this is while you only control one character at a time, you can obviously change party members, and each one handles very differently. Like if you're playing as Sharla, who's this sort of a um, medic who sort of shoots people with healing bullets from a massive great (laughs) sniper rifle the pace of battle for her and keeping people alive is obviously very different to playing as shulk who's running around doing all his um positional attacks like Catherine was saying you know or you've got like tanks in this game are very important like drawing aggro and then letting your attacker do all those positional attacks is like a it's like basically the heart of what the combat's about but i would say that like there is a lot you know it's a huge game you can play this for well over 100 hours if you get into all the side quest stuff and that is time to kind of like play as other characters and get your head around them and it's it's got um a, a really good I mean it's not very sexy unfortunately I'd say it's got a really good like character build game like there's loads of different equipment you can give like there's there's lots of different you know body parts and th- you know the um, the amount of stuff you can equip is huge so you can start creating quite different sort of character builds that way and then you also get this very deep gem system where you craft gems which have various stat boosts and you can quite change the dynamics of how some of the characters function or draw out certain parts of them. And there's there's characters in this game who I definitely dismissed on my first playthrough and then by getting into Xenoblade YouTube... Um, <laughs> you begin hearing people champion go well actually like this character sucks when they're controlled by the ai i'm talking about there's a there's a character in this called melia voiced by jenna coleman from doctor who she's got a very strange system where she sort of summons these sort of elemental orbs which she can then throw out as spells or use the orbs to sort of like buff other people so she it's a sort of balance of kind of strengthening yourself and knowing like when to use these orbs but if you start mixing up like the gems with her you can just do some crazy damage like i think there's there's actually like a really nice mechanical experimental streak in this which is also like very very important for the series going forwards but i i maybe didn't appreciate that the first time around i would say oh, okay interesting so really just so much depth to this system that even after you could play it two or three times and and miss entire bits of it if you're not focusing on the yeah. right things necessarily. Yeah, I mean, in, in also like in addition to that, there there is kind of um, the affinity system does kind of go even deeper than that in that there are, you know, you, each character kind of has, you know, they're they're not like classes or jobs as such, but they kind of have three sort of and eventually five kind of like extra tracks of you know extra abilities that they can learn they sort of all kind of fit into these different sort of shapes. Um, And you can plug 
other characters' affinity abilities into those shapes. And sort of everyone can kind of use everyone else's skills, which is something that just like, yeah, kind of also slightly blew my mind when it happened because it was just like, oh, you know, it just really feels like this is a a party of people who are, you know, not only do they get better um, as they, you know, th- their relationships kind of get get kind of uh, improved and they kind of get bigger stat bonuses. But yeah, they sort of, you know, they, they do help and learn each other. I mean, you know, maybe that sort of sounds a little bit kind of, um, you know, kind of romantic and sort of silly, but it's sort of, um, you know, it's it does feel like they've really thought hard about how these, all of these characters interact with each other. Um, and yeah, sort of a crazy, crazy deep system to, to yeah, dig into. Mm. In terms of like the actual uh, sort of like writing and characterization side of it, like um, just because I think that the affinity system on the level in which it relates to the NPCs you meet in the world is supposed to make them seem kind of well-rounded do you kind of like um just is the writing good enough Catherine that it kind of it pulls you into the characters uh sort of like regardless of the in-game systems yeah I think so as I say I think like one of the things that really did uh you know strike me at the time and and on repeat visits in the various different versions of, of one that the writing isn't it isn't kind of overly stuffed with yeah you know it doesn't pull uh, you know arguably a Zena saga that you know just kind of bombard you with all these kind of mad concepts it, it is just kind of a lot of straight talking people kind of just trying to muddle along figuring stuff out and yeah it just just feels like a very relatable uh cast of characters yeah the the, mm. the writing outside of the party like the npc stuff is definitely less livelier in this mm. like that the, one of the big complaints about this game is that it has like a huge number of side quests you know hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of side quests and they're not very attractively presented you know they're quite bare bones you just go in it's very like static text boxes you know which compared to the kind of like electric cutscenes where you have you know very i would say very vivid character voices because they use these they use british voice actors and Mm. so they don't sound like any other characters they don't sound like your traditional sort of jrpg sort of american anime actors it's got a very you know maybe that's where that sort of slightly down-to-earth vibe comes from just because i associate that with like nice regional british accents um but they they definitely like I love the amount of side quests in this because basically wherever you are in the world, you're always chipping away at something. But I, but but that's why I like them is because you know, there's always something to do rather than what you're doing isn't necessarily particularly interesting in those side quests. You know they're very they're very bare bones and the evolution of this series or you know or, or the thing it most has to improve and does improve as it goes along is improving, like, bringing up the quality of all that side stuff so that it's a bit closer to what you're doing in the main story. Okay, interesting. Um, well, I suppose then, like, uh, from there, um, weirdly, there is no Xenoblade Chronicles 2. There is uh, Xenoblade Chronicles X on Wii U in 2015, I believe, at least in the West. Um, mm-hmm. Matthew, set the base for this one. Uh, and let me know what your sort of feelings are on this. I feel like it's come up before and you're mixed on it. Is that is that right? Yeah, so, you know, I'll be up front. This is the one I've played the least amount of. I haven't actually finished it. As much as I roll my eyes at other fans throwing their toys out the pram, like, this wasn't particularly what I wanted from Xenoblade at the time. Um, you know, they'd just given me a, a JRPG that kind of got me into JRPGs after never really finding one that I really clicked with. 
and then you had this which basically abandons i would say a lot of the story that made xenoblade chronicles one really great and it becomes a lot more about open world exploration and it isn't a huge open world like the pitch of this or the kind of idea that got it spinning in the same way that they built those two models was when they were playing xenoblade chronicles one they kept thinking to themselves wouldn't it be great if this was one world it wasn't split into regions with loading between it was just one big coherent world and so that's what they set out to do with this um it's a huge alien planet called mirror it's vast i think it's something like 400 kilometers squared um i think it's like like several breath of the world's big like a huge huge space uh, for you to explore and you know the pitch of this is isn't it exciting and wondrous to explore this this open world and so mechanically certainly very interesting but story-wise there's not really a lot there it's very systems driven which i think is then amplified by the fact that it's science fiction as opposed to the sort of fantasy with a few sciencey elements that you get in the rest of the xenoblade series it's quite hard sci-fi like this to me feels more like the takahashi of xenosaga i would say you know it's very abstract alien worlds it's giant mechs he loves a fucking mech um (laughs) and i would say the other games all have mechs or robot elements to them but in a kind of quite judicious amount and i like them there here like i'm not a big mech guy um as i've said before so i didn't have that natural affinity or excitement for these for these um scales as they're called here so yeah really with this one what you have to wrestle with is that it is just a very different game and i kind of see it outside of the xenoblade chronicle series like it's unhelpful in a way that it's called that because I, I don't think it's it you know what its values are and why it, why you know what is good about this doesn't necessarily fit with the with the rest that's interesting. What about you, Catherine? What was your your first response to this versus playing the original? Zelda so I, I've I've sort of had got have, have a slightly traumatic relationship with this game in that I I ended up reviewing it for I think Games Master at the time, and I maybe had less than a week to turn it around. I had a minor breakdown at the end before handing the the review in because again, like Matthew, I haven't ever finished this even even after sort of the fact just i think because i was i just yeah had to had had to step away i was i was sort of trying to yeah cram cram through this this massive yeah it is properly vast uh x um and i sort of got to the point where you know i i knew that i wouldn't be able to finish it but i had to had to get to the to the skills i had to unlock it the mechs aren't at the outset you have to no. you have to work reasonably hard to get there yeah and yeah, there, there's sort of a lot of quests um, that involve to get your your skill license, um, which doesn't even you know it's not really even unlocking them fully. You you have to do even further quests to actually be able to fly. Um, I've I've never flown a skill in Xenoblade Chronicles X. <laughs> I have just run you know run and jumped, um, and you know, they, they 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 do do very big jumps. Um, but I've I've never actually kind of fully seen the full potential of this thing. Um, but yeah, had a, because there were sort of so many quests. One of which was a yeah, collect the 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 the, the magic orbs to yeah get a kind of particular number of of this item. And I just I just didn't know where where that item was. I couldn't figure it out. And I was just had yeah had a, had a minor meltdown because at that point it was just you know that there weren't any guides. It was all you know. I think I eventually sort of 
did, did some Google Translate on some Japanese web pages from some obscure corner of the internet. And yeah, sort of after that, I just sort of like say I did did eventually get one, and they the 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 skills do you know it does open up that world like to an incredible degree. You know, I on on foot X is you know the 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 the, the planet of Mira is 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 just enormous, but then when you step into this yeah even larger mech, the the places that you know, you, you once dreamed of going in, you know, say the first Stenoblade, the kind of, you know, the, the big stone arches, you know, th- th- those now have monsters on top of them as well. Like, you know, th- th- those areas are fully, fully explorable, have stuff to do on them. And so that, that kind of blew my mind a little bit. But yeah, I just sort of, after, after sort of that, that, that review experience, just had, <laughs> had to step away. Because uh, yeah, I sort of had just played so much of it in such a short space of time. And sort of, as I say, I had a, had a minor meltdown at the end. So I, had, I have to get to it. I have to be able to talk about it. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and yeah, I sort of I have, 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 have sort of gone back to it a little bit in the intervening years, but never, you know, never to the extent where I sort of could really remember um how it all worked because it is it is quite different but yeah i think like matthew like i i was very at the you know when when it was first first revealed i was like the world just looked like yes this is exactly what i want it's an even bigger prettier version of what you know xenoblade chronicles was i Mm. was really up for it like you know the 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 monsters looked enormous you know i i I, I, unlike Matthew, I, I do quite like mechs. Um, I'm a, you know, I've watched <laughs> many series of, of Gundam and other, other sort of mech anime. So I, I, I was really, you know, up for the, the, the robot side of it. But yeah, in practice, I think that it is a much colder, more clinical kind of game. In that, yes, you know, the, the, the character that you play, you know, it, it's not a predefined character. You, you create your character when you first boot up the game. Earth is under attack by these sort of like mysterious kind of alien robot force. Um, you leave on this ship, kind of. I think it's um, of all the cities that <laughs> from Earth that managed to ma- managed to kind of get through this alien invasion and ba- basically Earth being destroyed. It is New Los Angeles. The you know I didn't get the impression that New Los Angeles was on board the ship. I got the impression that they. They crash land on the planet, and then they're like, "What do we do? Let's build Los Angeles." Which <laughs> I is thought, just I thought such it was a bad of, call. Yeah, it's. <laughs> I thought it was like they they tried to kind of basically lift these cities up, or I don't know. It's, oh it's, right, okay, um, maybe I got maybe I got that wrong. Yeah. I, I I I must admit, I I I, I would I would, would need to check that. I I also can't remember, but yeah, this they sort of crash land on this alien planet, and a, a large part of the game is that all the life pods of the actual people have been sort of flung across this planet and a lot of the characters that you encounter are all a bit like robots like their actual consciousness is inside these these kind of synth bodies but the actual bodies or you know the actual people that need rescuing are still in these pods out there in the world and that's kind of part of you know a a big part of what the story and what you're working towards is, is to rescue these people to bring them back to the to the to, to, to new la and they're like no please don't <laughs> let me die in this toxic swamp <laughs> yeah <laughs> anything um, but that <laughs> yeah you know as i say you, you're not even like playing not real people but yeah it, it is a much harder sci-fi as matthew was saying uh style of game i, I will say that like you know I, i'm i'm giving it a proper 
sort of second go now, um, just because I'm like, all oh, my brain's gone Xenoblade mad. <laughs> and actually, I think playing it now that there are more traditional Xenoblades, I'm a bit more open to it being good. Because, mm. you know, at the time it was like, oh no, there's never going to be another Xenoblade, it's <laughs> this instead. And now you're like, well, actually, there's loads of traditional Xenoblades, so it really doesn't matter. Um, and while I do miss the story, mechanically, like, it may be the deepest of them. Like, weirdly, a lot of a lot of its ideas are in Xenoblade 3. Like, a lot of its stuff about character classes uh, and the way it handles side characters. Like, this game does have a lot of story, but it's, like, buried in side characters who, as you improve your affinity with them, you kind of do big story missions with them. So while the central storyline is kind of, like, very... It's just there to sort of hang most of the systems on i think there are big character beats which are quite similar to how they handle those characters in three so you know there's there's like interesting groundwork being laid for sure also the soundtrack which is a really divisive one um we'll talk about music when we talk about xenoblade 2 but you know they have a set a group of composers who make the soundtrack for the series uh, across one two and three this one is the anime composer hiroyuki sawano who did Attack on Titan, I think is one of the big ones he's done, and uh, Gundam Unicorn, which uh, when this was announced, it said music by this guy, and I googled him, and everyone was like, the Gundam Unicorn soundtrack rocks, and then I got super into that soundtrack. I got like obsessed with it, and Catherine bought me it for my birthday. <laughs> and <laughs> So like, I absolutely love that soundtrack, but when people played this, like the the music in Xenoblade One was so good, and this was so different, like a very harder sci-fi edge had a lot of, like like rap rapping kind of lyrics over some of it, which is just such a different vibe that at the time I was like, "Fuck that!" Like that is just <laughs> ghastly. Um, but I think it is actually quite good, and like like maybe it's like an album that you warm to. Um, but there's some pretty like epic stuff in this game, so I'm at, uh, like I'm actually like I'm in the middle of a huge reappraisal of Xenoblade X. <laughs> right, right, that's interesting. We'll have to uh, ask grill you about this a couple of times uh, more yeah. Matthew, as you get through it. Um, I need to play more. I will s- very briefly include a little clip of one of the worst tracks I've ever heard <laughs> in a game because this this game has some like ho- like. I, I, I mean, it's literal gibberish to me. It's like a, something going, hip, 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 And you're like, what the <laughs> fuck is this? It's awful. Um, so you can expect a clip of that now. Right. And there you go. Wasn't I bang on the money? <laughs> <laughs> um... Here's a question then, Matthew. Do you think there's value in excavating this and putting it on Switch in the, uh, 2022? I would have said no. I will now say yes. Ah, okay. It doesn't have the... Because the other thing, it's got like a... This is the one with like online features, which are dead now on Switch. Yeah. Mm. And so when you're playing, there's constantly offline flashing in the corner, which is right. just a bit of a bummer that something's gone wrong. And I, I can't speak to them because I haven't experienced them. But on paper, they're not dissimilar to like some of the Death Stranding systems. Mm. Yeah, kind of interesting, but ah. I would say yes. Let's get this back for Switch Two. What about <laughs> what about you, Catherine? Or too much PTSD tied up in this game? <laughs> I think like I, I I think there is now enough difference. In fact, yeah, I've I sort of also sort of started started it right from from the beginning. I I sort of did 
uh, attempt to pick up where my save file was yeah, in, in preparation for, for this podcast. And I, I just sort of couldn't remember enough about it. I thought, nope, I need to need to start over right from scratch, as, as, as traumatic as that's going to be. But yeah, I, I think also very similarly, like I I would very much like to kind of play this again properly uh, at, a, at, a, at a more normal rate. Just the little the, the little time that I sort of spent with it again. The battle system is, is very, it is very different, but it is like, again, super reactive. You're sort of almost waiting for sort of other abilities to trigger, uh, you know, between your opponents or, you know, you're sort of setting things up. They're all kind of color coded. Uh, you know, and sort of when someone sort of shouts something, it's like, oh yeah, you know, I'll follow this up with another attack, and it's sort of got a very different energy to one. But it is a battle system that, yeah, like Matthew, I, I, I do, and and, and the game as a whole want to reappraise. Um, and yeah, kind of actually, actually get get a, get a skill to fly. That's that's that, that's my <laughs> the, the one thing I want to do again in this game. It's kind of almost perfect that this very strange deep entry was tied to the Wii U. Like it's, yes, yeah, it does seem like it belongs. It's the to Metal it, Gear but... Solid Four of Wii U. Yeah, <laughs> it should yeah. never be allowed off. Uh, always that offline message blinking in the corner. Yeah, yeah. It's amazing. This is where it do- it lives, it dies here. <laughs> Humanity's last stand on Mira. <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. Um, okay, we move on to Xenoblade Chronicles 2. Um, plus it's uh, DLC, which I know you two played quite recently. So, yes. Matthew, lay the groundwork. Catherine, tell me what you think of it. Xenoblade, Xenoblade Chronicles 2, which my hot take is I think it still might still be the best Xenoblade. Mm. Um but we'll get to that with three. A whole new world, in, instead of set on two giants who have, who, have, who have slain one another, it's set on a series of titans who live in something called the Cloud Sea. And so the sort of the, the hook in, in terms of exploration is that every world is like a giant animal with a different kind of ecosystem on it. So it's like a, a giant sort of whale with like a big grass ecosystem on it. Um, there's like a desert sort of industrial landscape. Um, there's a really stunning series of islands which are set on the backs of giant jellyfish i think conceptually this is the most exciting one this is the most exciting version of what if people on giant beasts it also has a a much more anime story uh it's about a, a diver called rex who gets pulled into this sort of shady scheme to excavate a sword from a sort of crashed military vessel. This sword turns out to be what is called a blade in this world, which is like a it's like a living being who is also a weapon who is bonded to a fighter. So in this game, even though you have three people in the party like you did in Xenoblade 1, they're all bonded to these blades who kind of uh, switch in and out. So that's, concept, you know, combat-wise, has that kind of clever gameplay story gelling that i talked about earlier in that the game is all about working with these blades battle to battle but the story is also about the nature of your relationships with these living weapons who have quite tragic rules that dictate them um and a lot of the game is about discovering like the lore of this world and how these blades function and kind of what their whole deal is um so those two things work very nicely together but it is definitely a lot more like anime and fan servicey in tone like it's a bit more cartoony looking it's quite hectic i love the big dramatic swings of this like i th- i think there's like 
huge twists throughout big exciting cast of villains i love the world there's 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 a lot going on in this one it's it's you know qu- quite quite hard to sort of summarize and, and and sort of unpick i would say the general thrust of it is like even more wilder worlds this really great kind of weapon master relationship which is explored mechanically and narratively uh, and a fucking unbelievably good soundtrack um <laughs> as this one's but this one is i think like even better how about you Catherine? yeah I would, I would definitely agree yeah i think like this 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 just felt very much like after the the sort of slight sort of not really even a disappointment but just sort of the slight down note of of x it's just like okay right we're, we're, we're getting back to getting back to what we love here and you know this this sort of felt like a, a yeah very much like a, a return to what was so great about the first game yeah as as matthew says kind of shares a lot more of the sort of similar themes and kind of setting um yeah i mean i i was just sort of ready for for more xenoblade really at the time so yeah i sort of just absorbed all of it the story yeah sort of is isn't quite as clear-cut as one it, it does it does sort of go to a lot of places and sort of discusses and interrogates a lot a lot of different themes you know not not only just sort of the the driver blade relationship but kind of you know there's sort of power machinations and immigration and sort of lots of you know it, it tackles a lot um at, but i think overall i would say it still kind of has that through line that ties it all together without without it going too galaxy brain um Ooh. i think this this one's even better at the kind of revealing hi- hi- like hidden layers of power within people in 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 that sense it is quite anime but i think you know, as as we were discussing earlier, sort of Monolith Soft have this, yeah, just real knack for making it really exciting. Cutscenes are really good in this. Yeah. Like, their choreography and everything, and because they are a bit more, like, technologically humble, because they're on, like, Switch and not next-gen, mm. I feel like they do a lot of, like, in-engine cutscenes, and they make just loads of them. It's like really indulgent, but not like not not in a bad way. It's just really fun, like how many cool action scenes and reveals there are in this game. Mm. Okay, very cool. The other big thing with this, you have the blades that are given to you in the story. You also collect blades from basically a kind of gashapon system, mm. which this is this is the big like make or break for this game and like how you get on with this system because some people see it as there's all these cool collectible like characters who you can only find if if you luck out and crack open a magic egg are uh, they crystals i think not eggs if you're a completionist i think this game is hell because you basically have to play <laughs> yeah. for hundreds and hundreds of hours cracking crystals to get these characters you then have to level up every character like end of every blade individually but if you play it i think in the spirit in which it's intended which is just a bit more chill being thankful for the named characters you do unlock and kind of not getting too hung up on it. I think that's a much better way of appreciating it. It's, it's, it's. I still think this is the biggest one. They've said the new one has more content. I think technically, like unlocking everything in this game and leveling it all up is going to take you like twice as long as any other Xenoblade. I mean, Catherine's brothers played this for like four hundred hours, right? Yeah, like an insane number of hours. I mean, he has he has sort of admitted that like you know, um, a lot of that is just because you can in in this one. Uh, you can sort of because you do get so many of these kind of generic blades, you can sort of send them off basically on these kind of like reconnaissance missions or like these sort of you know things that happen away from the party, uh, which you know is, is a thing that is in other JRPGs. Um, 
you know, sort of just things ticking over in the background sort of these expeditions. Um, and I think he has said that he just basically has left his switch running just Id- idly at you know for hours on end just so that you know these these quests will complete um which i think is a large part of where those 400 hours come from, right. comes from but yes and like i think when when i went back to look at how much i'd played when we went back to doing the dlc i, I spent about 150 hours playing the first one my save file for two which is by no means anywhere near 100 percent, was definitely over 200 hours i think which it, yeah, as I say, even surprised me. So yeah, as I say, my 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 brothers doubled that because yeah, you can just spend hours and hours just endlessly doing the yeah these either these expeditions or just trying to find yeah these collectible blades by yeah feeding crystals into a into a bin basically. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it sort of got to, got so bad to a point that you know they actually introduced a feature. I think they they sort of patched it in later where where you could skip the 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 kind of the the, the reveal cutscene. Because it was oh, so that was the long. worst when you were reviewing um, it. Because yeah. every time one of these things hatches, you have to watch them do like their weapon animation. And if, if it isn't one of the named blades, it's right. just this like generic grey man. <laughs> and yeah. you end up with basically you have a pocket. You've got like a hundred grey men yeah. and like three named characters. It's brutal. <laughs> Oh wow! Okay, that's uh, yeah. At least there's no microtransactions involved. No, no, no. So no. that'd be the entire co- core feedback loop for a mobile game. So uh, yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay, interesting. So what about the the DLC then? How did the DLC kind of expand on this? What did they do with it that um, maybe they they couldn't do with the previous games, which were on less DLC friendly consoles? Maybe it was originally intended as a chapter in the game. Um, it was meant to come between like two of the two of the last chapters. Uh, so it's a chunk of the story related to it. It's actually a prequel. It's about some of the villains in it and what their deal is, um, and you sort of playing as them to basically sort of reveal the tragic backstory, but behind the people you're fighting. So I can sort of see how it would have slotted into the main game. It reuses one of the islands from the main game and then has a whole new continent of its own called Torna, that's the name of the DLC, Tornic Golden Country. It is a standalone game, but you can buy it and play it without the main game. In some ways, it's like the perfect entry point in that it's like everything you want from Xenoblade. It's like everything good about Xenoblade 3, but in a kind of 30-hour adventure. It's like much better behaved. They've cut out the unlockable blades thing, so it's much more like one in that you've just got a set party of set characters. They've simplified some of the combat which in Xenoblade 2 is amazing. And there's some like crazy combo and crazy like damage multipliers you can do, but it never really explains itself that well. Like you maybe have to watch like a YouTube video or two to really get your head around it. It's a bit of a wonderful 101. Uh, this one definitely simplifies it. It takes those lessons on board. It explains the combat much more clearly. Visually, it had a bit of an engine overhaul. Like, 2 is... If there's somewhere where it's a bit flaky, it's that it, it looks quite rough on handheld and quite blurry on, on, on TV still. It's, it's not ideal. So, yeah, but, but I would say while, it, it, so while it's, like, kind of a beautiful nugget of Xenoblade for people to enjoy, it does also hinge on you knowing Xenoblade 2 sort of inside and out i would say to actually understand the story do you agree yeah. Catherine? what is that yeah i, th- I think so yeah it, as, as you say it does feel yeah they they cut out all the extra kind of blade nonsense and yeah i think each character only has sort of two extra blades to, to their name you know rather than like mm. i think you had three in the original game 
or, you know, at least you know, three that you could carry with you. Obviously, you've got like, as you say, endless pockets of these crystals sort of kicking around and in, in, yeah, sort of elsewhere. But yeah, kind of, it also placed a much kind of greater emphasis on the blade themselves. Like you could change, uh, whereas sort of in, in, in two, in the base game of two, you know, you just played as the driver. Here, you could sort of switch between both the blade and and the driver, which sort of, you know, it, it had this sort of like forward, backward mechanic of, you know, each character would have different skills in play depending on, yeah, whether they were the the active attacker or the kind of, you know, behind kind of defending uh, which was mm. you know, a little bit different, and 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 you know that that felt like it introduced a nice sort of rhythm, and you know each each time that you could uh, when you switched over, you know they sort of would would uh, inflict a kind of special status attack, which you know again fe- feeds back into the sort of break topple days, and mm. by this point launch system, so you know you you could really kind of like yeah do some really flashy kind of like uh, combo attacks and in you know really kind of. Uh, kick up those those status effects chains um, by mm. switching backwards and forwards. It does move at a much faster pace. Like you know, you even though you start at like level, I don't know, back in the kind of you know single digits or even sort of tens right at the start, you get up to level fifty sixty in basically yeah half the time. Like it, it really sort of speeds through and sort of levels you up really fast. But mm. also also you know at the same time you know it still gives you that challenge. You know it it just matches you at every point and yeah i think that the 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 landscape that you're on even though yeah it is just one one titan you do move through like a lot of different landscapes you know there is a kind of like you know the foresty area there's a desert there's a mountain um you know it sort of yeah still visually looks looks amazing um it's got a much jazzier sound to it than the original game it's almost a bit like personary mm. um there's the music in a lot of these games. There's a real impression. Some of the music is made by like a, basically a band called Ace, and it sounds like just a band having just an amazing jam session <laughs> rather than like composed music. Yeah, and it, you it sounds mad, but there's there's tracks in 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 all of these games where I don't know you can kind of feel the musician. You can like see like someone really banging away on a piano and just like freestyling it and it just it's got such a good vibe to it man it's so good oh that's cool man you two really really love these games <laughs> oh, i'm <laughs> obsessed <laughs> no it's, it's cool it's cool it's like this is clearly the right episode to do with the right people um right then like because we have um the the most recent game to discuss let's move on to xenoblade chronicles 3 so matthew um talk about this without upsetting Catherine. um <laughs> <laughs> by spoiling too much so i guess give us a kind of like basic layout uh, sort of like sort of the basic rundown of what the game is and how it differs to the other two main entries i would i would actually place this in terms of tone between xenoblade 1 and xenoblade 2 i think it's the word i'd use is like soulful it's set in this world where two uh, nations are sort of stuck in this endless war uh, Keves and Agnes, and the you know, endlessly fighting, and the the kind of sort of sad twist of this world is that their troops are bred in a lab. Um, they're sort of born as ten year olds, and then they age for ten years, and then they die at twenty. So everyone in this world only has a ten year lifespan, and the idea is you either get killed in the war, 
or you uh, you make it to ten, and then you have this sort of a ceremony where you sort of ascend and leave your body. So it's 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 naturally got this like much more sort of dour vibe to it. I thought at first it was going to have more of a sci-fi vibe, not not as heavy as Xenoblade X, but the fact that it's kind of like war and giant war machines, it felt like oh this is a bit hard. This is a bit harder than than Xenoblade One or Xenoblade Two in terms of tone, but actually like one of the things i really like about this game is it is it finds a kind of like softer humanity in that and it, it's it is a bit more melancholy but it it doesn't kind of lose itself completely and that's why it's sort of sitting between the two it hasn't got the kind of throw not throwaway but the kind of the the silliness and the hyperactivity of the kind of xenoblade 2 anime stuff but at the same time like everyone's a bit more with it and engaged than everyday heroes sort of pulled into xenoblade 1 you know they are soldiers. You know they're not they're not just regular kits. You know they're, 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 and there is a difference there. The the only thing that it, you know is slightly spoilery, but it's literally the concept of the game, and I don't think it's a huge surprise. Is that um, three kids from one army and three kids from another army team up? So in this game you have a party of six. They are all in play at any one time, which is twice the number of people who are in play in the other games. It means combat is incredibly hectic because you have six people all shouting, yelling their weird British catchphrases, <laughs> uh, which the Americans seem cool on, but British reviewers, it always seems to get you a couple of extra points. <laughs> uh, I don't know why that is. They're like, oh, it's always just all these teenagers sat and like, whoa, I'm having a bleeding great time. Like, yeah, that's why it's good. You know, that's that's a plus, you know, rather than like, yeah, you're doing so well. It's got a really good class system in that everyone has a has a class, but as you go through the game, you meet new characters uh, who can serve as a seventh character in your squad, but you also inherit their class by spending time with them. So you end up with like 20 or so classes to play with. And for me, I mentioned that there is a big class thing in, in Xenoblade Chronicles X, and what I like about this is it. I don't particularly like class systems or i don't particularly react well to them i find them a bit overwhelming like i don't really know where to begin mixing and matching two things i tend to get something that works something that i understand and just ex- trying to excel in that role and as a, as a general rule with games but what i like about this is there's actually only a few elements that you can kind of inherit from other classes and mix together so you can st- it's actually like a very friendly in to customization it's kind of not so overwhelming that you're like fuck that i don't want anything to do with it but it's also deep enough that you can start going well you know i want to play as a medic but i want to kind of bring in a few skills from this sword fighting class or this gunslinger class and i i think it's very very well judged it almost feels like if if there's something in this game which feels like the quote-unquote nintendo difference it's that they've kind of really tamed the kind of class system and made it very very accessible and not scary in a way that you will want to get into it and you will lose yourself in it Mm. that's what really won me over like considering i spent 140 hours of it i was constantly trying new classes like individually they all handle very differently like being an archer or a gunslinger actually controlling them in battle is very different to controlling uh you know a medic or someone with a huge fucking hammer or whatever and that that actually reminded me of xenoblade one where i felt like the different characters were very different so it 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 really does feel like a kind of mixture of what made the early games great like mechanically 
you know, it's kind of like the really clear characters and how they handle differently. It's Xenoblade X's kind of class system. The general combat flow is much more like Xenoblade 2 in that there's like some real, there's even more real time elements to it. Like if you launch an attack just as your sword attacks, you can kind of combo into stuff. So there's like a level of engagement there. But to be honest, I try to avoid talking about combat too much in my review because the pleasure of the game is seeing it kind of like introduce you to that and talk you through it and it does a much better job of that compared to Xenoblade 2 which like I say is an amazing combat system that never really explains itself properly this one here is an amazing combat system that kind of drip feeds it and opens up quite slowly at first but you you I don't know you just really feel like you can fully comprehend it and you can really engage with every element of it. So mechanically, I really loved it. And where this one really excelled sort of like structurally is that the side quests are just so much better than they've been before. Like you're walking around this huge land, you're encountering uh, like other camps of soldiers, they're called colonies, and you're sort of liberating them. It's the kind of thrust of your adventure from you know, whatever shadowy kind of puppet masters are in charge. And uh, as you liberate them, you kind of go into those colonies and you meet the characters. You sort of learn about their commanders, like what made this colony different to this one, you know, whether they're dealing with like, you know, this there's like problems in specific regions or sometimes the commanders have like a screw loose or they have a particular like way they want to run things so they're all very different and each one tells like a little self-contained story so instead of feeling like a couple of towns where people give you a hundred quests there are maybe like think of it as like 15 or whatever small towns that you go to and you you get like a deeper story in each one and through that story, you tend to earn a new hero, which in turn gives you a new class. And it all just feeds into itself in this really, really satisfying way. Wow, yeah, that's um, that is it sounds like a, it sounds very well rounded for a series that is kind of like always been good at being well rounded anyway. The boring take is that it's kind of they looked at Xenoblade 2 and kind of cut off the, the sort of boring elements, the kind of grinding for crystals and also sort of just tutorialized everything a lot better which is never very sexy but it really does make a difference i think considering like i think these games are a lot better mechanically than people give them credit for because the games don't explain themselves properly this one like you know maybe it over explains itself but that i just don't think that can be a, a criticism when they've made that mistake in the past like better safe than sorry i think Mm. Oh, it's a it's a really it's an amazing game. Um, like the journey you go on, the fact that you have a whole party of six from basically the start, and that party doesn't change. Like you always have that party with you. Every time you encounter something, you have these six different perspectives. You just have a really good grasp. And like by the end, you are so like embedded with these six people. Where you know, indefinitely, even the other ones, because you can only have three characters at a time. Like I often feel like certain characters fall by the wayside in RPGs, or there's that weird thing where, you know, like in Final Fantasy X, where you where, where there is a cutscene, and then there's like three party members who are just sort of standing there, not really doing anything, because the story isn't written for like everyone at every time. And here, I actually feel like everyone does have a role to play it's more about like how is this group of six going to deal with something which makes it just a lot more like coherent like the character arcs are a lot sort of smoother throughout i think if there's this one problem with it 
is that everyone, so all six party members and all the heroes you meet, like they've all got uh, like an individual problem to overcome, which on paper you're like, oh, amazing. Like everyone's accounted for. But actually the process of like the first half of the game is basically spent collecting everyone. Then the second half of the game is about like dealing with everyone's individual problem. There were stretches of this where like if I focused on that stuff too much, it could feel a little bit repetitive. Even though the stories were interesting and they were all very different, you know, I could spend 10 hours where basically five characters all had a huge moment of realisation one after another. And that got a little bit kind of... that That is the risk with the structure they've taken. I didn't talk about that in the review because I felt like it wasn't like the clearest point to make. Hopefully it, it's understandable as I've said it there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I, I, yeah, I think I kind of get... I get the you know, it's what you're going for there. It's a game where potentially 30 people can have a big cathartic mission in a row. Right, where you're like, right. oh, this is odd. <laughs> yeah, like everyone, everyone gets their shit together. And like by the last few, like when, and, 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 and like admittedly, I am really mopping them up. You know, a little part of me is kind of like, oh, Matt, is every like, it's kind of mad that everyone everyone gets their day in the sun um but maybe it's kind of like t- too much of a, too much of a good thing um but that's like a very petty complaint i also think the the world doesn't have the obvious titan hook like it is just a landmass right right um like it's just a big ring of land which while really impressive there's quite a few planes in this game there's quite a few big fields which like most of them have like something uh, awesome in them to distract you from that but or maybe it's just that after after two game three games of this, like I'm a little bit big fielded out. <laughs> yeah, you know. But I, you know, I, I I love the world. It's a beautiful world. I loved spending time in it. But there, I never quite got the same wow factor. I would also say the soundtrack amazing, but maybe not Xenoblade Two tier. That's obviously down to like personal taste. I think when you really love something and you get like proper mania about it, you can go a bit loopy with the rankings of individual elements like that yeah um, you also maybe need it in the rear view mirror a bit more before you have like completely solidified your opinions yeah. on it versus the rest of the series you know i think that's true i do like yeah i love you know i gave it five stars in my review like i really loved it i felt like you know even though i played 140 hours of it you know it really held my attention i think the fact that it does have all these hero arcs means there is something dramatically interesting happening i don't know why i complained about it just five minutes ago it seems churlish now to be like well you know well, oh there's too many arcs but um we played it all so close together that's, that's yeah why. that yeah that is that is the other thing a question that keeps coming up on the discord is whether you have to play the others for it and i would say one of the interesting qualities of this series is that they are completely self-contained scenarios each game has a new group of heroes like a new mythology that it's dealing with one and two have a connection that is revealed at the end um i don't think that's a spoiler to say like there is you don't have to understand you don't have to have played either to understand it but it's like an extra layer of something this one again has this self-contained warring nations thing it appears to be an all-new world i say appears it is an all-new world (laughs) um there's definitely like more callbacks in this one for story reasons it feels like it is visually riffing on both previous games like there are landscapes in this which look like oh a bit like that area from one and a bit like that area from two and you never really know if it's just doing it as like for fun or if there is a story reason and i'll let you discover that for yourselves there are some 
very direct references to one and two in this, which if you haven't played them, you will still enjoy the things that happen. You won't be like, what the fuck's going on? But if you have played it, you'll have more of a connection to some of the stuff that happens. It's got a really fans of servicey chunk of Endgame's content, this, which I really, really loved and appreciated. Which kind of fan servicey are we talking here, Matthew? If you're a fan of Xenoblade, it is right, serving right. you. Right, yeah, gotcha. <laughs> There's, uh, some people have beef with Xenoblade 2 because it's got some like notoriously busty character design. It's, it's pretty, like, um, it's, not, it's not subtle at all. This one is much better than for that, like... The women look like they can sort of function in this world. I mean, really, there's one character in Xenoblade 2 who's basically just like, <laughs> just a huge blue pair of breasts. <laughs> like, it's uh, kind of, it like the model looks like it's bugged out or something, but it's not, it's intentional, it's yeah. really grim. <laughs> the, the, one, the, the one kind of, you know, bad, or I don't know really what the, what the thinking was between, or, you know, behind sort of letting... Because the the kind of the 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 unique thing about all all of the blades in Xenoblade Two is that they're all designed by various different artists. Sort of you know like Tetsuya Nomura like has designed a couple of them, like including one of the main bad guys. But then yeah, this you know other blades are designed by other you know yeah famous anime people or manga artists. And yeah, you'd think that especially maybe I don't know whether it. You, you would expect more it being a Nintendo game, but yeah, there are some, yeah, some very questionable uh, <laughs> blade designs in two. Less so in three, yeah. I would say. Like, there's a couple of the heroes that maybe a little bit like, but um, it's it's you know it's fine. Um, I forgot that Nomura did character designs yeah. in two, which instantly <laughs> makes it the best Nomura game. Yes. <laughs> What an absolute shit take that is. Um, as in, you know, it's the deliberate troll trolling there from Matthew Castle. Would you, would you like to respond to that, Catherine, or do you think he's correct? I, I would say he's correct, to be fair. <gasps> oh my God, what a betrayal. Um, maybe I overestimated how much you like Final Fantasy. I don't know, but, uh, no, I'm, okay. I'm, I'm only joking. Yeah, three, threes. Yeah, it's 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 pretty amazing. Like it's, I would say definitely the smoothest ride of all of them in terms of like just the way it introduces its world, the way it introduces its systems. Like, it's it's really, really complete. All the other games have something you probably have to read outside the game to understand something in it. This one isn't. Like, it's a really clean Nintendo production. Okay, great. Well, I suppose then, um, Catherine, for you, from the outside looking in, do you have any kind of, like, reflections on what you've read about it? You, I guess you're just ha- hoping to get your teeth into it at this point, right? Yeah, I mean, I've, I've sort of deliberately not not looked at kind of yeah either either the kind of the new trailers the the you know the sort of deliberately kind of kept myself away from the interviews I was kind of yeah to kind of want to go into it kind of completely fresh and not kind of you know I, I I sort of obviously have seen kind of some of the initial things and it's like you know there are there are sort of teasers that yeah sort of as Matthew was alluding to earlier there do seem some quite kind of direct connections between all three of them that I'm yeah just sort of keen to explore but I think you know, in terms of the the it being a single landmass um, and other kind of you know maybe not quite as fantastical as a setting, I I do I do sort of think that sort of the the way that one and two come you know that that connection between them 
it it does sort of make sense, I think, in in the grand scheme of it. You know, if if you are sort of following the law from from the very beginning, there is a very good. If people do want to brush up on basically the the, the story, there is a very good uh, law video by the um, Nintendo World Report have done, which I I'm not ashamed to admit I did I I did watch beforehand to to refresh my memory. Yeah, it very <laughs> very clearly kind of covers all of the important ground that might. You might want to know for about three if you haven't played the one and two. Mostly just, yeah, just excited to sink my teeth into it. As I say, it's sort of having having played the, the Torna DLC quite recently, sort of been playing, um, you know, even even more so the, the extra chapter from Xenoblade Chronicles, the definitive edition, which is sort of like a post, sort of post story chapter, kind of dealing with the aftermath of that game. So I've been playing that this week. Um, and yeah, sort of even just sort of yeah, dabbling a little, a little bit in X it, it, over the last month. Yeah, just really excited for a, a, a new full Xenoblade game. Yeah, yeah, great stuff. It is wild that they've made all these games in the you know they've released them in the course of like ten years. Yeah, you know they obviously started on Xenoblade earlier than that. They said they 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 basically say fifteen years in their interviews they've been working on these games, but. That's like one Final yeah. Fantasy game <laughs> in the right. same time span. Like, and I, know, and I, I brought this up in my, my review. I was a little bit worried framing my review with that, actually, because I thought it may sound a bit snoot-de-doo that you were being like, hmm, in the time it's taken them to make one of these, they've made all of these, which are mm. arguably better. No, it didn't, it didn't come across that way. It came oh, across good. the... Well, I'm glad, yeah. Because it's the, almost I... like the scope of those games is and the detail they put into them is so vast, they just can't do the same scope just by the nature of the the challenge itself as opposed to it being like inferior it, that's how it came across to me like there's a tiny part of these games where takahashi is basically making the most amazing ps2 games ever right yeah <laughs> like now and that's how he can do it like visually they're obviously beyond what was available on that platform but he kind of like like it's sort of what would happen if a developer got to stay in that space but yeah, working yeah. in their genre and actually the answer is like quite amazing things can happen <laughs> and you you don't think when you're playing these games you you don't think oh man i wish this was like 4k or i wish these were photorealistic you think these are really well judged artistically you know this game the characters are almost at like cartoon they're almost cell shaded in a more photorealistic world and it's a really beautiful effect it's an absolutely amazing looking game in like especially in like the cutscenes and stuff look incredible in this game yeah, and I just think maybe we're barking up the wrong tree. Maybe actually, like, if if you accept that slight visual step down, like the ambition of what you can do, and the number of them, like, this is a great series to be a fan of. Like, there are three of these things on Switch that all look great. <laughs> so yeah. how many other series are that, this productive in this day and age? Yeah, like, it sort of makes it... I mean, would I swap... I probably would swap ray tracing for a Final Fantasy game every three years. <laughs> I probably would do that. Right. <laughs> <laughs> because but, but that's how it used to be you know i just remember the time where you were like how the hell did they make final fantasy 7 8 and 9 in that time mm. and like this is I mean, this is a bit longer but this this has the same quality i would say and the same just drive to it it's it's a it's just a it's a really it's like my favorite thing to be a that i'm a fan of to be a fan of this is it just feels very uh happy i guess dogs if you're a dark souls fan you're quite well catered to one last question about this matthew does um because i think you mentioned it to me does it run better in handheld mode than the second one did as well yeah so uh yeah i was watching a digital foundry video about this because <laughs> i i couldn't I, I was curious like 
what their take was because it's much better looking and much better running which doesn't really make a huge amount of sense unless they've like tapped into some dark extra power of the switch they had this very weird like visual filter on too which is just very very like noisy it creates this it's not even it's not low resolution it's just a very like busy unpleasant image mm. this is definitely a lot cleaner than that i i played it half and half there's definitely like adaptive resolution out the wazoo and there are some areas that like hammer the frame rate because they are just so big but generally like it's always playable and when it does look good you're like this is actually like one of the best looking like switch games on handheld for sure Mm. like for for, to be like an open world game and like the clarity on the characters and the the variety of the special effects and stuff like it's 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 properly good like the the, the xenoblade one and two neither of them particularly pop on oled either but this one's just like Holy moly, this is the one. Like, this is uh, about as good as it gets. I mean, you know, Breath of the Wild 2, you would hope, would would tap into whatever they're doing here. You know, might be able to harness some of that. But, um, you know, I imagine this will be the last Xenoblade they make on this Switch, you would think. And excitingly, in today's interview uh, on, like, the Nintendo, the sort of the modern version of Water Asks, you know, they did say... This is a culmination, but it's definitely not the end. You know, we're still going to make Xenoblade Chronicle games. We're still interested in making them. And there is another Torna-sized piece of DLC for this coming at the end of next year. Wow, yeah. So potentially another self-contained game, just a smaller one. Mm. Oh, that's great stuff. There's, oh! Uh, <laughs> never-ending never ending feast for the castles. Oh, I love it. It's so good. This is how other people feel about Elden Ring. <laughs> yeah. This is that's, that's how much I love, the, like... This is my Elden Ring this year. Yeah, for sure. What about you, Catherine? What, do you want to um, give us some like closing thoughts on uh, the series in general and sort of what it means to you as a player? It's just a series that is just does so much right. Whereas I think you know a lot of other JRPGs, you know, as, as big and flashy as they are, think think back on some of the JRPGs that have come out in recent years. You know, sort of Final Fantasy fifteen being like you know the big obvious one. There are so many that start great. They kind of sag a bit toward the middle and then they just fall apart at the end, um, which, you know, Final Fantasy fifteen did to a T. Every single Xenoblade game is just so strong throughout. It's, you know, they maintain their pace. They can't, you know, continually upping the stakes um, and introducing new, exciting concepts that, yeah, I just, I just don't think any other JRPG series really, really does to that same extent. I mean, you know, I think the only other games that have really, you know, captured my imagination in the same way are the Bravely Default games by Square Enix. Um, weirdly, even though two uh, Bravely Default two is 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 such named on the Switch, there were two before that on on the 3DS. Uh, you know, they also did some mad things, kind of remixing that kind of retro style JRPG, but with some really mad plot twists and really clever things you know those i are really the only ones that really come to mind as sort of doing something equally as ambitious as xenoblade but even then it's 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 still kind of framed through that more traditional retro lens whereas yeah xenoblade is is so out there in terms of yeah what it's trying to do the way its battle system works and the 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 sheer depth of that battle system and the way that it's evolved and changed over the over the course of three games uh you know and, and now a fourth 
yeah, it's just there's there is nothing else like it, which is a big reason why I love it so much. Matthew, any more to add, or should we wrap up there? Yeah, just people play it. Pick up the third <laughs> one, treat yourself, and then play all three. They're all on Switch. Just get them. It's like one of the best trilogies of any any console. Just just get it. Well, it's been a delight hearing you uh, hearing you both talk about it. I think we uh, we're fairly comprehensive there. I think, um, and I'd say that like a two hour podcast is pretty. Pretty reasonable for four games for us. That's um, that's a decent <laughs> chunk of time. So uh, hopefully people have enjoyed it. And uh, yeah, I will definitely um, keep pushing through that first one. Very slowly make my way um, through. <laughs> this to is the where series. you end up hating it. Oh, I'd be <laughs> so sad. It, I was just kind of struck by how sort of like confidently done it was, and like how I wasn't bummed out by the tropiness of some of it, but more just like. Oh, this is like uh, the tropes it does take on. It does really well. It just feels. It does right. feel made with love. You know what I mean? Like yeah. um, that's my first impression. But, but um, yeah, it, it, one last actually very quick thing in those uh, Wataras interview across several of them because he's done a few now for different games. Uh, one thing I really liked about Takahashi is that he's not afraid to say like, "Yeah, this was good. Like we made a good thing." Right. Yeah, I am conf- like we we were pretty confident that this was amazing, and I'm like, <laughs> that's great. Like that's a really great way to be that you can make something and just be so sure of it. Of like, yeah, we got a feeling that we've actually really nailed this, and they did. <laughs> wow, fantastic! Well, uh, yeah, good for him. A man not short on self esteem, evidently. But, yeah. uh, very good at what he does. Um, okay, great. Well, that's the end of the podcast. Uh, Catherine, where can people find you on social media? So I'm on Twitter uh, at Burninator. Uh, spelt B-Y-R-N-E innata. Um and yeah you can also find find lots of good writing about video games over on rockpapershotgun.com that's awesome thank you so much for joining us again Catherine thanks um, for having I'm me I'm sure you'll yeah yeah I'm sure we'll have you on uh, many more times um, so um, yeah always um, always good to have you on we'll, we'll talk about the SNL five timer club <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk about that inferior RPG series known as Final Fantasy at some point that'd be good um Matthew, where can people find you on social media? Mr. Basil underscore pesto. If you enjoyed this episode, we are supported on Patreon at BackpagePod, uh, patreon.com slash BackpagePod, rather. You can also find us on Twitter at BackpagePod. If you'd like to tweet us, follow us, see what's new with the episodes, that sort of stuff. And uh, we'll be back next week with an episode about the Steam Deck. So uh, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, it'll be fun. Yeah, it'll be good. Thanks very much for listening and goodbye. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.